Hey, good afternoon. It's Jeremy with the Christmas Tree Farming Podcast. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, it's been a little over a month since our last uh, podcast. Uh, it's been a really uh, dry summer here in central Kentucky. Uh, haven't had a lot to talk about because we just frankly haven't done an entire lot uh, during this time. Um, I think we talked about in the last podcast on how how poor this field that we planted in spring was doing, and I I just like to I guess close the loop on that. So that field, um, we planted two rows of Nordman, and they were about a fifty percent survivability, and then the rest of that was planted Canane. Um, and those and those all died, so we probably lost over 500 uh, seedlings this year. They were all transplants, uh, minus uh, the, some of them were smaller transplants, like we talked about previously. But the larger and the and the smaller now have died. Uh, again, that, that piece of property that we planted those on, we knew we were probably taking a gamble. I had prepped that. Um, I guess you could say half three quarter acre plot this past year. We did, we did some cover crops on it. Uh, we, we subsoiled it really good, but this is that area. If you've been listening to the podcast where it was a pond and we actually covered this pond up, filled it in, uh, brought in topsoil from the back of the farm, like a borrow pit. And, you know, we put some topsoil on it, but ultimately the the ground there is just too poor um, for fir trees. Even the Nordman that are there, they're not thriving. They're just surviving. Uh, we also did a row of Meyer spruce there. What what we're actually going to do there? We've just um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but ultimately we'll say that that block. Um, the only good information that I got out of that is that block probably definitely cannot be planted with any type of fir tree. Um, we are, we are going to plant in that area. We're going to put in some Norways for ball and burlap trees. We'll see how they do. It's been my experience that they'll grow in the least best ground. And we also have some white pine. Uh, so we're going to, in that same spot and I probably honestly I probably should just save my money and not replant anything there um and and half of that spot we actually aren't that's the spot that was more the bottom of where the pond was but off the back part of that plot basically where the dam was and and further back um that's where we pushed out all that old farm the pond muck and everything so the top you know the top foot of dirt that's on that hillside it's not very good it's really tight silty clay but underneath of that is actually topsoil so i'm not really sure what to do there like uh so what i'm going to do is we're going to give it a shot i'm going to plant some norways and some white pine there with the white pine being christmas trees and the norways uh being available for ball and burlap that i'll either use here on my own farm or we'll sell them uh, as part of the nursery landscape trees. Um, and again, half of that segment we're not that didn't grow anything, like nothing grows but weeds. 
Uh, we're going to just abandon that, this rotation. I may work on it over the course of the next 10 years and get and get wood chips in there and just try to amend it over the course of 10 years and maybe it'll be able to grow white pine or something in the future. Um, but for now, we're not. Um, which leads me to what we've been doing these past few weeks. Um, it's been really dry here. So we've finishing up some, some late summer mowing, getting everything mowed and trimmed out and sprayed. Uh, after Labor Day, somewhere around the September 10th or so, 10, 12, I began spraying my uh, one to 2% glyphosate solution down each row of the trees that right now is, is taking effect pretty good you can you can just now start to see uh, because it's not super strong uh, it takes a little longer to show but it, it now 10 days later it's it's starting to show um, the dieback between the rows is looking pretty good um, I did we did put a little shear guard in there as well which is some flumoxin and then I added a little bit of that nut sedge killer. I can't remember the name of it, but added just a little bit of that in there. So maybe I'll just get a little bit of effect on that. Um, again, using the tractor boom sprayer for that. I've got the little bar sprayer on the back that's about three feet wide. And I get that as low to the ground as my tractor will allow. And I aim the nozzle so that it's really spraying the bottom part of the, the tree. Um, but ultimately the, the trees do get hit. So, you know, last year it worked out fine. So I'm hoping that this year it also works out fine. Uh, at such a low dose, it shouldn't really, shouldn't really affect it. Um, also for the kind of had to move things up a little bit because we're not going to replant that whole field that we planted in spring, because as I just said, half of it is we're going to say foul and it's, we're not going to plant it. So I went ahead and uh, prepped the field that's right next to that, which was going to be, uh, I guess, a year and a half from now, we were actually going to start using that. Luckily, I had I had uh, started to improve that with sulfur and a cover crop this past year. And we now have that. I had, re I had reseeded it in rye and bluegrass fescue. So we just mowed that off really good um went ahead and and subsoiled down each row that's going to be uh, some of that will get planted in fall this fall so within like a month month and a half and then the other half of that is going to get planted in spring um the method that i use and it's funny uh there's a youtube uh creator his name is tony stefani and he makes Christmas tree farming uh, videos pretty regularly, and I watch those. Uh, our timing is pretty much almost the same week. It, it seems like we're we're mowing everything off. And anyway, I use the same method that he uses. So if you would like a visual representation of how I do my rows, um, look up. Uh, I think it's Hillside Christmas Tree Farm, or just look up. Uh, you can type in Tony Stefani. Um, Christmas tree in YouTube and it'll actually bring it up as well. That's, I think that's how I found him. But, um, anyway, on the front of my tractor, I attach a PVC pipe and ultimately my subsoil shank 
is the center line of my tractor for the most part, plus or minus an inch or two based on if I'm on a hill or not. Um, and then my row spacing is actually eight feet. Um, that's just what works for us here. It's bigger than some people's and um, larger than, than, than others and smaller than, and then smaller than others. Um, but we go with eight foot. Why, why eight foot? Well, I've got a six foot bush hog. Um, and then with the six foot bush hog, that leaves me room to spray down the middle of the rows. And I can pretty much mow down the middle with my bush hog. And then the spray takes care of the other foot to two foot, foot, foot and a half that's from there to the tree. So I'm pretty close to being good there without having to bring anything else in um so that's what works for me uh, i'm not a, we also do some zero turn mowing but some of my fields are so bumpy that zero turn mowing is not possible uh, anyway i use a pvc pipe i measure out uh four feet you know on one side of the pvc pipe and we drill a, we drill a couple holes and then on the other side of the pvc pipe four feet ultimately uh I'll have a string and a chain hanging on each end of the PVC pipe and that string and chain, basically you'll have that string and chain dragging in the row next to it. So all you do is just stay in line with the row next to you and uh, it sets the rows. Well, this is the same method that we used when I was a kid, Mark, Mark and Rose, my grandfather would do a tobacco farm and he would use, I think he had like a tobacco stick or something off to the side because their rows were a lot closer together. But either way, they would mark, they would mark the rows kind of in that similar fashion. Uh, that's how I learned it and come to find out that method is still in use today. So that's what I use. Um, I'll subsoil each row twice. So I'll go down and up the same one twice just to get a good breakup of the row. Um, so we did about an acre. My plot, I used my my block size that we're mo used most of the time unless the land doesn't allow us. Because again, I'm not in a big square open field. I'm more hillside and between this and that kind of landscape. But I'll go 150 by 150 usually. Um, and it, it actually, it it's probably a little more than, it's 150 long by probably between 150 and 170 wide ultimately i'm trying to get about 20 rows in that are all roughly 150 feet long and i'll space not that you know this not really part of it but i i space my trees probably five and a half to six feet apart is roughly where we're at so you'll get 20 25 trees in a row um roughly 25 trees in a row sometimes more i don't cut it off like if it's if it works out to go a little longer and it doesn't mess me up for the next year then i may go a little longer or shorter um so we do that we get all of the field you know the prep work is basically already done the year prior as far as the amendments to the soil so that'll give us time to get it mowed a couple times spring and summer spring and summer um like this was a little bit sooner on this one. So this field's going to be just a little bit rougher than I like because we were letting it grow out. So the, I guess the stubble, the stubble's really thick. I don't know how to explain that by words, but ultimately if you let, if you let the grass and all that, the weeds and the uh, Johnson grass and everything grow to like five or six feet tall, 
the stubs underneath are like as big around as your pinky, right? Or your thumb. And if, if I would have known a little bit further in advance, I would have started mowing this a little closer repeatedly so that it was more kind of a clean look. It was more like almost like a, a turf lawn a little bit more, but this field won't be uh, half of it won't be because it was a little bit premature anyway. So we got everything subsoiled up and down twice. I got two 150 by 150 fields completed plus a resubsoiled some of the rows like I talked about in the other field we went ahead and just redid that whole field for the white pine in Norway's um, and then today I went down each row again we had previously sprayed the the first two fields um, but now I went ahead and mixed up a much stronger uh, glyphosate mixture in my tank sprayer uh, probably in the in the realms of i'll just give you what i did it's a 60 gallon and i did 130 ounces so and i the glyphosate that i use is is actually the 53 percent glyphosate without surfacant in it and i actually add my own surfacant in it i actually just use dawn dish liquid uh works well for me and it's a lot cheaper than uh, some of the other stuff uh, we also added just a little bit of flumoxin in there as well as well as some of the uh, uh, yellow nut sedge killer as well. Just a little bit. I like, again, at such a small amount, I don't know it'll do any good, but I, I put some in there anyway. Um, get a good kill. I would expect this stuff to work a lot quicker. This is probably two over two times stronger than what I used on my trees that were already established. So this is, you know, this, this kill should be a dirt kill uh, within a matter completely dead in a matter of week and then be dirt you know by winter that is the goal uh, hit it again same thing in spring and this field will be ready to plant now the only caveat to that is uh, I am planting part of that 150 by 150 block um, in fall uh, as a replacement for the trees that we lost in the much poorer plot that we're not replanting the entire thing that was a lot. Um, we were fortunate enough that we actually started growing our own uh, transplants out. Like say we bought plugs and we're growing them out. Uh, we've got seeds started and growing those out. Um, so we're fortunate in that respect. I've got a um, couple thousand seedlings and stuff that I can use in my own field that are already containered up and those are doing great. Uh, so we're going to plant, I am going to plant those. That's going to be primarily what I use. The only stuff that I'm planting that I didn't have is the white pine. The white pine I'm getting from a nursery in Pennsylvania um, that historically has had really large transplants. So hopefully these are nice and large, even though they're, I think, I think they're only two ones because uh, it was last second notice, but we got them. So it'll be better than nothing. Um, we're going to put, um, we have a mixture. Uh, each field is basically one-third Canane, one-third Nordman, and up to one-third Turkish. Uh, that's, what, that's what I've got on hand. That's what I'm growing. And that's actually the seed source that I have that I'm growing as well. Um, I've had a few people ask me. Uh, I do have some containerized transplants 
available for sale. I, I would prefer to sell what I have in fall. Uh, so within the next few few weeks, if you need an order of potentially some Nordman or some mid-sized Canaan, uh, just reach out to me and let me know. Uh, don't I don't anticipate having anything extra in spring. Uh, I've got a couple people that will probably buy whatever's left in spring. So if you want something, uh, fall would be the time to get it. Um, also, what we did, uh, went to the Kentucky Christmas Tree Association meeting. Um, that was last week. It was at a farm in Versailles, Duckworth, I think is what, Duckworth Barn is what, what it was called. It was a nice spot there. He's been growing Christmas trees there since, I think he planted his first trees in 2017. And, uh, you know, everything looks really good there. He's got a great property. He, the primary, I think, income for the farm for them is uh, they have an events barn, a really nice uh, barn that they built for events. Uh, I think primarily for just friends and family and, and close friends and stuff like that. But they do, they do, uh, do well with that. The Christmas tree farming is kind of a sub deal for them there. Cause they're only planting 150 to 500 max per year. Um, but what he has planted looks really good. He's doing a great job. Uh, they are very blessed. We, we talked to several people in that, that Woodford County, Brazils or Lexington. Um, and believe it or not, like where we're at, you know, it's dolomitic limestone is in all of our soil. We have rocks, you know, it's, it's very rocky. Uh, pH is natural. The soil is naturally at around seven, two, I would say is the average. But if you just drive 50 miles to let towards Versailles, Wolford County, all right, these guys, they have also, and at my best at my best places that I found on my farm, at my best places, I have one foot of topsoil. One foot, you know, 13, 12, 12, 14 inches. That's it, topsoil, okay? These these farms have three, four, five, eight, eight foot of topsoil. And on these farms, you know, um, their pH is, obviously, they don't have much rock. It's topsoil, so they don't have much rock in their topsoil, uh, and their nat their natural pH is like six and a half. I mean, they, it's just, it blows my mind how different soils can be within 40 miles of each other, 45 miles of each other. Anyway, uh, good for them. Uh, they don't have to do a lot. He doesn't spray a lot. He doesn't really fertilize. He, he literally said that they plant them and they let the grass grow. And all they do is bush hog between the rows. They didn't even manage between the trees. Uh, they, they cleaned it up for us because we were coming to the meeting. He said, but prior to that, it was, you know, it was pretty rough looking. Uh, but his trees didn't seem any, any rougher for, for the ride. I mean, they looked, they looked like great trees. Um, he did, he said he had a couple different seedling sources and you could see it like some of them in the same block. Some of them would be six feet tall and some of them would, would still be three feet tall. Um, but it looks like since then he's kind of, He's leveled out. He's, I think he's buying Bosch's uh, transplants. And for the most part, those have always been good. Um, we, you know, we had one bad deal there, but it was a combination of they had a bad deal with pH and then we had a bad deal with dryness. So both bad deals together made a bad deal for us this year. But uh, anyway, the survivability 
uh, of transplants is something that you have to just get used to. Uh, it's not realistic to think that you're gonna you're gonna have 100% of your seedlings survive, or even or even 90%. Uh, if you have great soil, I don't. I think 80 85% is definitely reasonable. And I'm coming to the real, realization um, that here, uh, especially if I want to continue growing fur, that I'm in the 50 to 60, you know, percent range of survivability. So if I plant a thousand, I may get you know, 500 or 600 that survive. So we have to overplant here to accommodate for some of the areas that aren't as great. Uh, I could obviously just plant a lot of this as white pine and you know, it, there's probably areas on my farm that that's going to be all that I can grow. Uh, and some of the areas is white pine. Um, and then that'll be fine. Uh, anyways, I, I there's a little bit longer podcast cause I wanted to catch up. We had been a you know, over a month. So anyway, if you have any questions or you're interested in any container trees, uh, I've also got some Dunstan chestnuts, uh, in a half court container. Uh, we're going to plant about half of those on our farm in the back part for wildlife. The deer love them, but I'll have, I'll probably have 50 to hundred for sale as well. Uh, till next time.